Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Our text this evening will be starting with verse 5 of Romans chapter 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. So from verse 5 all the way down to verse 14. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And we're going to look at this text this evening under this heading. Has God done a work in you? Has God done a work of grace, sovereign, saving grace in you? And the theme we're going to be looking at this evening as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table coming are marks of grace. And in this theme, we're going to be looking at what does it look like to have true and saving faith in Jesus Christ? What are the evidences that we should come to the Lord's table? There's a great need for us to examine If God has truly done a work, not if we have done a work, not if we have done something to make ourselves different from those who are outside of Christ, but if God himself has done a work in our hearts. This could be a really challenging subject for many people. It's a subject so many Christians, and I believe genuine Christians, are afraid to look into because they may be afraid of what they might discover. But dear friends, there's great blessing for the true believer. And even for the one who discovers they're not a true believer. Far better to know this side of eternity. Are you truly saved? These issues, they're difficult because they can cost us sleep. And they should. We're talking about eternity. An eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. These are not small matters. Especially when we read through our Bibles and we come to those verses. Those verses that will say there are those people who earnestly and sincerely believe that they're Christians. They will stand before the Lord one day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not done many mighty works? And what would the Lord say to those people who are in utter shock that the fact that they have been kept out of heaven? I never knew you. So... When we come to those verses that warn the professing believer in Jesus Christ, that there are many people who are deceived, that are not truly believers. They're in shock. And so this theme of marks of grace very much ties into assurance of salvation. What does that mean, assurance? How do you know that you know Christ? That it's not a counterfeit that is not self-deception. The Roman Catholic Church, for example, often stresses that people cannot know. There's only a small group of people in extraordinary circumstances that can truly know. They would teach that it's a dangerous thing to have assurance, to know where you're going to go and spend eternity. You might get kind of lax and not live a holy life. 
That's something you cannot know. But as I discovered in my, my early days as a Christian, I was saved back in 2009, first church I ever went to. And I remember a dear Christian lady said to me, it's wonderful to know you're going to heaven. I was thinking, I think I was saved a few weeks. I didn't know very much. And I was wondering, can I possibly know that? What if I fall away? I don't know what the future may hold. Yeah, I'm believing today, but so I went home, dug up every Bible verse I could find on the issue. And I saw that the Lord would never let the true believer go. That I knew. Like, you grow in assurance that these are struggles, but I still remember that day as a day of blessing to find that out, to learn of that. And it strengthened my faith. Because it's important that we know that we know him. If you're here this evening and you're preparing your hearts for the Lord's table, you believe that you believe, don't you? You believe in your heart that you believe. But how do you know that that belief is real? Well, if you're working in a shop and you get a banknote, what do you do? You hold it up to the light, you have a look. Does it have the marks of a true note? And do we have the marks of true and saving grace? We pray as we look through these verses that this will increase the assurance and blessedness of the true believer, but perhaps you're here this evening and you've never really thought about this issue, that you would examine your hearts if you truly should come the Sabbath day to the table of the Lord. Our first point as we look at these verses from verse five is number one, appetite. Number one, appetite. Verse five, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. If God has done a work in you, God is all powerful, all wise, most loving. Will he leave you where you're at? Or will he have changed you? You who have gone from being dead in trespasses and sins to now being alive in Jesus Christ. Will there be a change? Well, Paul writes to the Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes in verse five of chapter eight, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. That's one group. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. It may seem very obvious, but sometimes we can forget that. There's this one group that is after the flesh, not after the spirit. One group not born again of the spirit of almighty God. The other group is different. This comes a few verses after Paul gives some assurance. In verse one it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Those are wonderful words, aren't they? That's very emphatic. No condemnation. But it's not for everybody, is it? 
It's not every single person who says that they're a Christian that this applies to. Paul writes, who walk not after the flesh. There's a group that walks after the flesh, and there's a group that does not walk after the flesh. These words, these wonderful words of assurance and blessing and reassurance are there for one group and not for the other. Paul does not want them to have false assurance. It is such a thing to have false assurance. How many people will you meet around Glasgow who think that they're sincerely Christians? And they may tell you, well, you know, Islam is not too different to Christianity. And, oh, we all believe the same thing. But they earnestly believe that they're trusting in Jesus Christ. They do. Do they walk after the Spirit? Or do they walk after the flesh? It is these people who do not walk after the flesh are forgiven. And if that is you here, dear friend, you are forgiven. No condemnation is for you in Christ Jesus if you have that evidence, that evidence of life that God has done in you, that you have a spiritual appetite. Now, all living things have appetites, don't they? If you go to the hospital, one of the first questions they'll ask you, how's your appetite? What do you hunger for? What do you thirst after? Well, if you hunger and thirst after the things of the flesh, or do you hunger and thirst after the things of the spirit? What is it to have an appetite of the flesh? Now, we must point out as well, in Romans chapter 7, Paul, as a saved believer, has these struggles. He, he wrestles with this old nature. Yet he is truly born again. He says in verse 25 of the previous chapter, chapter 7, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There's a real struggle going on with Paul here in chapter 7, so much so he says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am. But for all the struggle that Paul is going through, and there's a struggle in his appetite, he can still say in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. All these things we struggle with to a certain degree. I suppose the difference is, do you struggle with these things or do you surrender and love these things? Those are two very different things. We must also be careful that we don't think you get to a certain stage of your walk where you no longer struggle with sin. There are people who teach that. Well, you can't have assurance of salvation unless you've reached a certain point at a certain time. You can't be a true believer. Friends, there's no such teaching. We, we ought to grow. And there's a sense in which we do grow as we, but we don't all grow at the same pace. We're not all alike. Some of us will have a hundredfold fruit. Some of us tenfold. Some of us a little less than that. But there will be evidence. There will be an appetite change. 
So as we look at these things, as we look at the appetite that will change, don't think that your level of appetite is what's going to determine your eternal destiny. It's Christ himself. We must look away from such things, even in the midst of looking at such evidences, we take great courage and confidence and joy. The Lord has changed me. Wonderful. Now look away from these things and look to Christ. All the time, you know, even as we look at these things, there's so many temptations. See, Paul warned the Galatians who began in the spirit and were concerned about this leaning towards legalism. It says in Galatians chapter 3, turn briefly to Galatians chapter 3. The first three verses of Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? That ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, they didn't believe that, did they? In verse 3 of Galatians chapter 3, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? So tempting all the time. But there will be a change in us. There will be evidence of the Lord's work in our hearts. It's Christ's work alone we look to with the eye of faith. And how do we know that we're doing that? How do we know that we're truly looking to Christ? How do we know that we're not self-deceived? We desire to serve God. We love his law. It's a joy to us. It's radiant. It's light. But there will remain until we leave this earth a battle, a struggle for the true believer. Those things, we, 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 we struggle to even express it and describe it. We love the law, but there's another sense we're still struggling with the old man. We love God's law as believers in Jesus Christ, but we still fail. And we feel horrible when we do. If you say you love God, but you're, and you're looking to him, you say, but your life is characterized by the flesh, the, the deeds of the flesh. You think like the world, you look like the world. For all intents and purposes, no matter what you believe, that is a great concern. Galatians 5, verses 17 to 21. Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 to verse 21. Speaking about the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, 
envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell thee before, as I have told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You might say, well, I'm not, I don't have all that list. You may be a slave of one of those things I am saying. A slave. You serve these things. Even, even unbelievers won't struggle with all of these things I just mentioned. What is your appetite, friend? What is your hunger? Is it for the things that are contrary to the law of God? Or is it the things revealed in the law of God? In our text, it says in verse 6, Romans chapter 8, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For to be carnally minded is death. If you love sin here this evening, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you walk after the flesh here this evening, you are on the wide road to destruction. There's a great warning there. What naturally hunger? See, I say hunger, I say appetite, because rather than here's all the fun things that the world does that you can't do. And here's all the boring things you do on a Sabbath day. And for so long, we've almost presented Christianity in such a way in the West. The most wonderful thing that any of us can ever do in this world is not to follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is to follow the law of God. Because to have that kind of appetite is life and it is peace. It is joy. The world doesn't understand that. The world is blind to these things. But by grace and by grace alone, our eyes have been opened up to these things. And when we hear it with ears to hear as well, we rejoice when we hear these things. But friends, are you thankful that you rejoice when you hear these things? Not everyone in the world rejoices when they hear these things from the word of God. They think, how foolish, because they don't have an appetite for these things. It is by grace and by grace alone that you have been changed from being carnally minded to being spiritually minded, to having a different appetite. So our second point here this evening is animosity. Number two, animosity. Now what is wrong if you have the wrong appetite? You're hungry after the wrong things. So for, for example, maybe you go on a diet, if you're still hungry after the old foods, eventually you're going to hit a wall and you'll go back to eat the old things all over again. You need to develop new habits, new, new things that you hunger after. Spiritually speaking, there are many people around the world who say they love Jesus, don't they? I googled the other day how many people in the world claim to be, to be Christians. Followers of Jesus Christ. Well, according to Google, there's 2.38 billion people who claim to be Christians around the world. 2.38 billion. That is nearly a third of the entire world. 
So we go around the world, we're expecting to see lots of true believers in Jesus Christ, lots of people who truly love the law of God. Is that what we see by experience? Not at all. I'm sure many of you are skeptical at that number that I just mentioned. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if it were true. And the Lord is able to save countless multitudes, but that is not the case today. How do we know that? You shall know them by their fruits. A tree will be known by its fruit. If you see apples on an apple tree, you see it's an apple tree. You don't expect to see lemons or oranges or bananas. In verse 7 of our text, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be enmity against God. So when we have the wrong appetite, we have a, an attitude, an appetite that is against God and hostile to his law, hostile to his rightful, holy and just demands. Demands that are not just right and holy, but they're actually good for us. We're hostile to those things. The carnal mind is lusting like the world because the world's lusts actually cause themselves damage to themselves. It says that those who are carnally minded are at war with God. What did Jesus say? John 14, verse 15. If ye love me, live however you want. No. Keep my commandments. What does love look like? Commandment keeping. I know. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us have lived up to that standard. But Jesus was love. Is love. And if we want to see what loving looks like. We look at Jesus' life. He perfectly kept the law of God. He fulfilled it in every jot and tittle. That is love. And if we want to follow Jesus. It is following the law of God. It is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. It is loving your neighbor as yourself. It is loving God above all else. It is shunning idolatry. It is rejecting of blasphemies, the third commandment. The fourth commandment, it is delighting in the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, and so on. To love God is to be hostile to sin. See, we're either going to be hostile towards sin or hostile toward the law of God. There's, just, there's no middle road between the two of them. And this hostility, this enmity began in the Garden of Eden. All the strife, all the suffering, all the, the, the strife that we see around us, the wars, the carnage, goes back to sin in the Garden of Eden. And there's enmity, Genesis 3 verse 15, between the seed of the woman and the seed of of the serpent. Two seeds at enmity, at war with each other. Now our weapons are spiritual, they're not carnal. Weapons such as prayer, the sword of the Spirit of Almighty God. But there's that enmity between these two seeds. The seed of the woman, that's Christ, and the seed of the serpent. 
But to the carnal mind in our text in verse 7, is at enmity against God. And it's part of that seed of the serpent described in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. What did Jesus say to some of the religious leaders of his day? And you have to remember, these were respected men. If anyone was going to heaven in the first century, according to them, it was a Pharisee. It was those religious people. He said, you're of your father, the devil. Those were shocking words at that day. Because they had an appetite after the flesh. And they believed themselves to be God's people. Well, they based it upon their, their family lineage. They based it upon we've always gone to synagogue or to the temple. But their appetite had not changed. They showed that they did not love God. Actually, in fact, they sought to catch Jesus out. So their, their animosity was on full display before all. You see, what we profess if it is just a profession of faith without any substance to it, means very little. Oh, I love Jesus. Many people around the world, how many people around the world say, I love Jesus? If you went around and did a survey in the streets of Glasgow, you'd probably find a lot of people say they love Jesus. But by their deeds, they show that they hate him. That's why we have church discipline in churches. It's not because we're trying to catch people out. It's because people love people. The, the elders and other Christians as well. It's to bring people back to reconciliation to the God that they're walking away from. That's what church discipline is. It's love. And it may be as simple as a brother saying to another brother, I don't think you should be doing that. For the good of the church, so that people are not going on a road of self-deception. A road of hardened hearts and blindness. Warning people of the dangers of sin. Verse 8 of our text. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It is displeasing to him. There's a sense in which... The animosity the sinner has. It's, it's not just one way. The, the sinner has animosity towards God, but God also has animosity toward the sinner. The sinner is fighting a war against God that he cannot win. He cannot win. It's sure defeat in the seed of the serpent. Our third point is ability. So appetite, animosity, number three now, ability. It says in verse, verses seven, eight, and nine, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Notice that, can be. It can't be subject to the law of God. Verse eight, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, 
if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There's almost another cannot there. You cannot be his disciple without the Spirit of Almighty God. Ability. What is our ability as fallen natural men? Born in Adam. Dead men. In Adam all die. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 describes those who were once dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. Lifeless. Without hope. See the spirit brings life. The spirit brings this ability. An ability to follow God. To want to follow God. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Dead men cannot do very much. We need life. This is something that we have forgotten much of in the modern church. Back in the 1990s, many in the church were, their heads were turned towards a movement called the seeker-sensitive movement. I don't know if many of you remember that. And one of the things that movement forgot was, there's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. And if anyone is seeking out anyone, God is the one who seeks out seeks and saves that which is lost. Man's methods will always produce feeble fruit. It's what always happens. You get decades of decline in the church. You see it through our church history. Man will try his clever ways and it will be seen to be fruitless. And until they come, the church comes to the end of ourself, cries out, to the Lord for help. And the Lord mercifully at various times in history pours out his spirit, returning the church. You see, revival begins in the church. It flows out from her. And it blesses often, yes, those around. But it begins in the church when she gives up all these efforts to bring glory to the methods of men. And that can happen in worship. That can happen in the sharing of the gospel. The gospel must be the most important thing for the church of Jesus Christ. Because we realize the inability of men. We can't just say, oh, if people will just see how nice we are, then the, the churches will be filled once again. They're dead, friends. The people we share the gospel to need life. They need to see. They need to hear. They need to walk. And they cannot do that without a supernatural work of the Spirit of Almighty God. And they need Christ. They need something far greater than you and I can ever give. However, we point them towards the one who can save them. It's God who does the work. It is God who does the work. It is the gospel. The gospel that changes. It is Christ. It is the spirit of God. And our methods are always feeble. When they go away from acknowledging and realizing the deadness of men. 
Yes, we share the gospel, but we share the gospel in the hope, not in our new methods or whatever they may be, but in the old methods. And the God from everlasting to everlasting redeems sinners, dead sinners, and brings them to life and brings all the glory to his name. Verse 11, and if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Look at this, life shall also quicken or give your mortal bodies by his spirit. It's all by the spirit. And that same spirit that brought life from the dead Jesus was once in the grave, in the tomb. He was raised from death unto life. That same spirit is what makes the difference. The difference between your eternal destiny, between anyone's eternal destiny, is the spirit of Almighty God. That's why we pray. That's why we, and often the spirit works most mightily when the church feels its inability it's weakness that we're all but dust and ashes and that God is to be glorified in all these things. We are, we are but mere tools, instruments in, in the master's hand and that she should be so pleased to use us in sharing the gospel. We praise his glorious name. This is all about praising God. Man is powerless. Friend, do you see yourself as powerless to save yourself? If you're trusting at all, anything within you, I'm not that bad. You may think you're better than the person who doesn't know Jesus, who lives next door to you. Self-righteousness is another gospel. The gospel says that you have no confidence in your flesh. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I claim. The only thing we provide is the sin that made Jesus' death necessary. He purchased it. He paid it all. He did it all. And he gives us even the ability to look unto him. He gives us liberty from bondage to sin. To look unto him who is freedom itself and then when we have been set free we come to him to feed to be refreshed and that's what we do at the lord's table tokens of his love set before us for those who've been changed who've been given ability to look unto him if that is you come to the table this sabbath morning and our final point number four is application so we've looked at appetite, animosity, ability, application. See, we can talk about God has changed you. Isn't that wonderful? Well, it's either in God's hands or what can I do about it? Well, Paul doesn't write like that. He doesn't write like that under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Yes, it's all of God, but he writes this. Therefore, verse 12, brethren, we are debtors. Debtors. Not to the flesh. To live after the flesh. That's very, very important. We are not debtors to the flesh. 
But verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. God has changed you. Declare that. Live that. Show that. Rejoice in that. Be glad in that. Share that. This is who you are. We must not think at any of this point. It does not matter how we live. God has done it all. We must in, our, in many ways declare what God, our life is to really show and demonstrate to the fruit of our No matter how imperfect we may be, what God has done in our hearts. We're really showing and glorifying the God who has changed us. Now perhaps you're here this evening thinking about the Lord's table and you're thinking to yourself, I wish I was further along in my Christian walk than I am now. You may be here and you may be fairly downcast. You're in a valley of some description. Maybe emotions that are up and down. But are you looking to Jesus? There may be many things in your life that are unexpected. Sudden things. That you never would have thought possible. That are testing you and pulling you in every single way. But are you looking to Jesus? You may feel like you're going backwards. But if you're looking to Jesus, you're not. Our feelings can deceive us. We may be disappointed in so many ways, but it is the Lord that gives us the grace to grow and to love him. Today you are different by God's spirit. You see, God has not just changed us one time in the past. He continues to change us and our lives the fruit of our lives. May we show that. Because there's a warning here in verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh. Ye shall die. Paul doesn't just say look. It's fine as you live. Just you'll be okay. You'll be fine. He doesn't. For if ye live after the flesh. Ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit. Not in your own strength. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now this is not saying, you do these things, you're going to live. No, God has given life. But what does it look like with a person who is living by the Spirit, who has life? They will put sin to death. And I'll put the word imperfectly after that. We often don't deal with sin as much as we ought to. But a believer does put sin to death. And that's part of our fruit of conversion. We have been changed. But we're continued to being changed. It's a continual process. And as we talk about putting things to death. This can sound ugly. Because it is. It's a war. It's challenging. It's ugly. In In any war there are casualties, difficulties. But in a war, you either fight on one side or the other. Either you will fight in your post, in your position, in your rank, whatever role you have been given in that battle. Or you aid the enemy. There's no two ways about it. Or you surrender your post. Fighting is hard. Mortifying the deeds of the flesh is difficult because... 
at there's times when you love these sins, but we're to put these sins to death so that what? You will taste more and more of that wonderful assurance. Because it says in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, is that you? Is that you? They are the sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? No, we're not talking about sinless perfection. Not at all. But are you led by the Spirit of God? You are part of the family of God. And you are most welcome to the table of the Lord. That is the most assurance. You see, we will see this more and more. As one man put it once, low levels of obedience, low levels of fruit. You may be a true believer. Will often lead to low levels of assurance. Now assurance and knowing that you know Christ is not a mathematical formula. Do X, Y, and Z and then it's all good. We're all different. We all have different struggles and difficulties and temptations. But at the same time, we must not expect low levels of obedience to yield low levels anything but low levels of assurance. Why does God keep back assurance from a believer? Often he wants you to draw closer to him. That's what happens. He wants you closer. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He wants you, a creature of the dust. He wants you close. And often the believer will experience these valleys so that you do cry out to him. So you're not depending on that thing, that thing that's come into your life that's robbed you of time with God. He wants more time with his people. He wants you nigh unto him. For many who probably should not doubt their salvation, they probably will. As soon as you go through these verses, usually it's the people who should not doubt their salvation will. And then it's the people who have, they're confident, they've never taught, thought about it. They say, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to think about that. They're the people who ought to think about it most deeply. Are you saved? Well, I don't know if I have enough fruit. I can't find, are you looking to Jesus? That is fruit. That is fruit of life. If you've looked to Jesus, that is the reaction of a person with life. A person without life does not look to Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus alone. Nothing. You can't bring anything to this. And that is a person who has been born again. Do not think that you are fine. Come and seek this confidence that the Lord offers to you. You see this here. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit, you do mortify the deeds of the flesh. The Lord wants you closer to Him. And how much closer to Him can we get than the Lord's Supper? He's Christ Himself has offered you His body and His blood. How much closer could he be to the believer? A means of grace, a means of encouragement, 
And so, if you are some of these people that Paul describes, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, come, be blessed, and be assured in the presence of Christ. Amen.